The General Assembly is now voting on draft resolution A-67-L28 entitled Status of Palestine in the United Nations. Will all delegations confirm that their votes are accurately reflected on the board? The voting has been completed. Please lock the machine. The result of the voting is as follows. In favor, 138. Opposed, 9. Abstentions, 41. I now call a short pause. Welcome to a special edition of the Bible in the News on this dark week when the world has turned against Israel. The sickening news of the overwhelming United Nations vote is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy as world opinion once again turns against the state of Israel. The vote was 138 in favor, 9 against, with 41 abstentions. Those against included Israel and the Tarshish nations of Canada and America. Abstentions included Britain, Australia and Germany, who are still having a prophetical identity crisis. France, Spain, Italy, Austria, Belgium, Belarus, Russia, Iran, Iraq, Libya, Syria, and Turkey, all nations of the Northern Confederacy of Ezekiel 38, voted in favor. This horrific vote came in the face of the struggle in Gaza, where Israel was inundated with rockets during the past month. There are few people left on the planet who are not blinded by propaganda and actually see what is going on. U.S. broadcast journalist Glenn Beck commented on the assault on Israel and their response to the attacks that have just taken place a few days ago. It is worth listening to what he had to say. I want to tell you what it's like to live in most of Israel right now. A missile is fired by Hamas, a terrorist organization in Gaza. A siren goes off. You have 15 seconds to find a shelter. I want you to think as an American what that means. If you lived in a place where missiles were fired at you, hundreds of them every day, and you had 15 seconds to hide, how would you live? How would you stop what you're doing, run to a basement or a shelter? And if you can't make it inside, you're just supposed to lie flat on the ground with your arms over your head. What about your kids? How do you feel about sending them to school? That's life in Israel right now. Not a single one of us would accept this. Not one of us would ever have to. Every country has a right to defend itself against terror. But they keep telling Israel, don't overreact, don't fire back, be careful, don't ramp things up. Let me get this straight. We're saying that if Mexico fired a missile into El Paso, or Canada was firing hundreds of missiles into Buffalo, we would just let it go? If Japan fired a missile into Beijing, what would China do? So why is Israel held to a different standard? Why does Israel have to hold back? Why does every other country get to defend itself but not Israel? Why could that be? 
Before getting to Mr. Beck's conclusion to that question, it's worth contemplating for a moment what he has brought up. There is nowhere in the world where anyone would be expected to put up with this kind of treatment. But that is what the world asks of Israel. The world watches what is going on and expects the Jews to just suffer through it, somehow thinking they are responsible for what is going on in the Middle East. Well, let's return to Mr. Beck's question of why Israel finds itself in this predicament. In the uncomfortable moments of our life, we know why. A Jewish man was walking down the street, midtown Manhattan, over the weekend. He passed by a group of people protesting on the side of the street. They were holding up signs criticizing Israel. He was wearing a yarmulke. They called him a dirty Jew. We've seen this movie before. We've seen the terror before. We've seen the sirens and the bombs and the threats. We've seen the insults. Dirty Jew! It's nothing original. We all know, in the quiet of our own souls, exactly what's going on here. It has nothing to do with embargoes or borders or anything else that can be solved. It's because Israel exists and it's a Jewish state. Let's be honest with ourselves. There are some people who just can't get past that. It's the world's oldest hatred, anti-Semitism. And unfortunately, it is alive and well in our time. And it's no longer hiding and it's no longer afraid. It's right there in Gaza. Gaza is the new, new Nuremberg. It is the epicenter of Jew hatred, the birthplace of a million new little haters. And they all want the same thing. They're all taught the same thing. Kill all the Jews. Unfortunately, that's all they know. And unless we stop it first and stop the source of it, that's all they'll ever know. In every generation that came before us, they would beat up the Jews, harass the Jews, chase the Jews, kill the Jews, always the Jews, and usually they got away with it. What Glenn Beck is pointing out is events today are a replay of a mindset that allowed and fueled the Inquisition, the pogroms, and the Holocaust. There is a more sinister reason behind the current mindset than the simple fact that Israel is a Jewish state, though. The deeper question is, what makes people so opposed to the Jews? The answer at the root of this is, they are the seed of Abraham. They are God's chosen people. The Apostle Peter identifies Israel as God's chosen people in Acts 15 verse 14 and says, God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. The separating of the Jews out of the Gentile nations took place in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 when God said to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Well, God chose Israel as a testimony to his existence. He calls them his witnesses, to witness before all the nations. And he states in Isaiah 43, verse 8, Bring forth the blind people that have eyes, and the deaf that have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together, 
and that the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this, and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses, that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is truth. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So clearly Israel are God's witnesses. He is working a work of redemption with his people, who he separated for his name. This work is incomplete, but it is underway. It is God who chose the nation of Israel, and it is God who has restored them to their land. As we read in Ezekiel 20, verse 41, When I bring you from the people and gather you out of the countries wherein ye have been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the nations, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for the which I lifted up mine hand to give it to your fathers. It is because they are the chosen seed out of whom he will extract a people for his name that they are so hated. It is the enmity of millennia, a theme that has been recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the grand theme, the grand plot line throughout the Bible, the conflict between those God separates to put his name upon and the world that hates God's choice. As Mr. Beck stated, this scene has played itself out time and time again. Ezekiel 38 verse 5 calls it a perpetual hatred of Israel. Glenn Beck finished his speech declaring America's allegiance to Israel. But may I suggest not this time, no more. This time, stand with Israel. We will stand for the truth. We will stand for freedom and decency. We will stand for life. And so I want to say something, something to the kids in the bomb shelters. We are with you. You're not alone. There are millions who will always be with you. You have many, many friends here in America. This is a message also for Israel's leaders. Do not be afraid. Do not forget all the things that God has done for you. We will not forget you. We will not forsake you. We are brothers. The nation of Israel and its capital of Jerusalem lives forever. Glenn Beck has pledged America's assistance to Israel position that is in line with the biblical prophecies of Ezekiel and Daniel. However, unfortunately, though America might pledge its allegiance to Israel, it will be unable to help in the end. Ezekiel describes only token resistance when the great onslaught comes down into the land against my people Israel. We read in Ezekiel 38 verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods and a great spoil? But unfortunately, the feeble resistance is also recorded in Daniel 11, when the king of the north overruns the land in verse 40, and the king of the south seems helpless to do anything about it. 
The division between those opposed, abstaining, and in favor in the appalling vote follows the lines of Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11. A map based on the voting for this resolution is almost a map of Ezekiel 38. While Britain, Australia, and Germany are still experiencing a little of an identity crisis, they too will soon settle into the mold described in Ezekiel 38. And although Britain was too infected by European values and ended up abstaining, the British Foreign Secretary, William Hague, had the following to say. We explain that while there is no question of the United Kingdom voting against the resolution, in order to vote for it, we would need certain assurances or amendments. The first is that the Palestinian authorities should indicate a clear commitment to return immediately to negotiations without preconditions. The United States, who clearly voted against the resolution, made several comments. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton clearly stated, The path to a two-state solution that uh, fulfills the aspirations of the Palestinian people uh, is through Jerusalem and Ramallah, not New York. The controversial ambassador Susan Rice, U.S. permanent representative to the United Nations, had the following to say after the vote. Today's unfortunate and counterproductive resolution places further obstacles in the path to peace. That is why the United States voted against it. But we have long been clear that the only way to establish such a Palestinian state and resolve all permanent status issues is through the crucial, if painful, work of direct negotiations between the parties. Today's grand pronouncements will soon fade, and the Palestinian people will wake up tomorrow and find that little about their lives has changed, save that the prospects of a durable peace have only receded. We will continue to oppose firmly any and all unilateral actions in international bodies or treaties that circumvent or prejudge the very outcomes that can only be negotiated, including Palestinian statehood. And we will continue to stand up to every effort that seeks to delegitimize Israel or undermine its security. Progress towards a just and lasting two-state solution cannot be made by pressing a green voting button here in this hall. Nor does passing any resolution create a state where none indeed exists or change the reality on the ground. For this reason, today's vote should not be misconstrued by any as constituting eligibility for UN membership. It does not. This resolution does not establish that Palestine is a state. The firm language of the United States has been completely ignored by the world who are insisting that Palestine is now a state. The birth of Palestine, rather than being a legitimate process, is in fact an abortion. Canada is also one of Ezekiel's young lions and is to protest the invasion of Israel, siding with the King of the South in the time of the end. Since Stephen Harper has been Canada's Prime Minister, Canada's position in the Middle East has swung strongly in favour of Israel. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister John Baird clearly laid out Canada's position before the United Nations General Assembly. Mr. President, 
Canada opposes this resolution in the strongest of terms because it undermines the core foundations of a decades-long commitment by the international community and the parties themselves to a two-state solution arrived at through direct negotiations. The outstanding issues are too intricate and too complex to be resolved by simplistic unilateral measures. Canada's support for a negotiated settlement, like our opposition to the initiative before us today, is rooted in the very history of this venerable organization and in the sustained international effort to resolve this matter. Canada is committed to a comprehensive, just and lasting peace in the Middle East, whereby the two states live side by side in peace and security and prosperity. Any two-state solution must be negotiated and mutually agreed upon between both sides. It is for these reasons that Canada is voting against this resolution and a result of this body's utterly regrettable decision to abandon policy and principle, we will be considering all available next steps. Israel's ambassador to the UN, Ron Prosser, gave a very decisive defense of the facts on the ground and appealed to the world to search for the truth in the situation. It is very important that Bible believers know what is going on in the world. This is one of the most significant votes the United Nations has taken in the past 70 years. 74% of the world's leadership turned against Israel, 22% refused to take a stand either way, and only 4% was willing to stand with God's people. Israel's ambassador begged the world to listen to reason and to see the truth of the situation. Here are some excerpts from his appeal. On this historical day, real facts in the General Assembly remain few and far between. For any who have been here on the 29th of November before today, today is a deja vu. Some of you may have noticed that some minor changes have been taking place in the Middle East lately, but any changes in this body's resolutions condemning Israel are very, very rare. The account we heard today is one-sided. It is unilateral, it is unjust, and unhelpful. It presents a distorted and impartial version of history. It transforms the cause of Palestinian self-determination into a deliberate attempt to degenerate, defame, and delegitimize the State of Israel. The political dynamics in this body are sadly predictable. Every November, the leaves change color in New York, but the automatic anti-Israeli majority never changes its votes. Let me take a moment to remind this assembly about what actually occurred on this day 64 years ago and in the days that followed. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted in petition to then petition the then British Mandate of Palestine into two states one a Jewish one and one an Arab one, two states for two people. The Jewish population accepted that plan and declared a new state in its ancient homeland. It reflected the Zionist conviction that it was both necessary and possible to live in peace with our neighbors in the land of our forefathers. The Arab inhabitants rejected the plan and launched a war of humiliation against the new Jewish state, joined by the armies of five Arab members of the United Nations. 1% of Israel's population died during this assault, 
by five armies. Think about that price. It would be the equivalent of 650,000 dying in France today, or 3 million dying in the United States, or 13 million dying in China. As a result of the war, there were Arabs who became refugees. A similar number of Jews who lived in Arab countries were forced to flee their homes as well. They, too, became refugees. The difference between those two distinct populations was, and still is, that Israel absorbed the refugees in our, into our society. Our neighbors did not. Refugee camps in Israel gave birth to thriving towns and cities. Refugee camps in Arab countries gave birth to more Palestinian refugees. We unlocked our new immigrants' vast potential. The Arab world knowingly and intentionally kept their Palestinian population in the second-class status of permanent refugees. In Lebanon, for many years and still today, the law prohibits Palestinians from owning land and from working in the public sectors as doctors and as lawyers. Palestinians are banned from these professions. In Kuwait, the once significant Palestinian population was forcibly expelled from the country in 1991. Few remain. Those are truths. In Syria, thousands of Palestinians had to flee refugee camps in Latakia last August when President Assad shelled their homes with naval gunboats. In the vast majority of Arab countries, Palestinians have no rights of citizenship. It is no coincidence that the Arab world's responsibility for the inalienable rights of these Palestinians never appear in the resolutions before you. Mr. President, the basic question underlying our conflict for 64 years has not been changed. That question is, has the Arab world, and particularly the Palestinians, internalized that Israel is here to stay and will remain the nation-state of the Jewish people? It is still unclear whether they are inspired by the promise of building a new state or the goal of destroying an existing one. Mr. President, the resolution that gives the 29th November significance, General Assembly Resolution 181, speaks of the creation of a Jewish state. No less than 25 times, we still do not hear Palestinian leaders utter the term. Palestinian leadership refuses to acknowledge Israel's character as a Jewish state. You will never hear them say, two states for two people. Palestinian leaders call for an independent Palestinian state but insists that the Palestinian people return to the Jewish state. This is a proposition that no one who believes in the right of Israel to exist could ever accept. The idea that Israel would be flooded with millions of Palestinians is a non-starter. The international community knows it, the Palestinian leadership knows it, but it is the Palestinian people that are not hearing it. At this very moment, the gap between their perception and reality remains the major obstacle and hurdle to peace. Let me repeat that again. The so-called right of return is, the, is and will remain the major obstacle to peace. It's not settlements. It's not the laundry list of baseless accusations launched against Israel in today's resolutions. I'll repeat it again. The so-called right of return is the major obstacle to peace, and everyone knows that. For decades, this body is rubber-stamped nearly every Palestinian whim, no matter how counterfactual or counterproductive. 
What has it accomplished? The lip service of this bodies has only done a disservice for peace. As they continue to run away from the negotiation table, Palestinian leadership continues to move closer into the embrace of Hamas, an internationally recognized terrorist organization dedicated to the destruction of Israel. The Quartet has long applied three principles that Hamas must adopt. It must renounce violence, recognize Israel, and abide by former agreements. At no point has Hamas satisfied these conditions or indicated any intention to do so. If Hamas is too extreme to accept these principles, they argue we must tailor our principles to match Hamas's extremism. Mr. President, even more than words spoken in speeches here today or the words in the resolutions before you, it is the words not spoken that speak volumes. This assembly has made clear that it does not stand in solidarity with many people in the region today. In this hall, I hear no solidarity with the one million Israeli men, women, and children who live under constant rain of rockets, mortars, and missiles from the Gaza Strip. And, Mr. President, today I hear no solidarity with the many people in the Middle East who are being repressed and slaughtered every single day for demanding their freedom. From Syria to Iran to Yemen, these people are no longer content with their leader's explanation that Israel is to blame for all the problems in the Middle East, a fiction that is advanced through the resolutions like those before us today. Today, ladies and gentlemen, none of these truths have been spoken. Today, I hear no solidarity with the principles of peace. I know that the truth can be a burden. I know that old habits die hard. And I know that the convenience of the moment sometimes weighs heavy on the interests of the future. Yet only the truth will set us free. After years of darkness, I call on this assembly to bring a new light to this debate. I call on each and every delegate in this hall to embrace pragmatic solutions, not automatic resolutions, to speak with candor and not with slander, to grapple for a new vision, not all, not all divisions. I call on this assembly to finally glean truth from this historic day, nourishing the seeds of peace in our region that can blossom into a brighter future. Thank you very, very much, Mr. President. In the face of this testimony, the world voted to legitimize the Palestinian state, a terrorist state which completely disregards the principles the United Nations is supposed to uphold. Mr. Prosser quoted the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 8, verse 32. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The world doesn't want to know the truth of what is happening in the Middle East. It is blinded by hatred and enmity. The world's response is similar to Pilate's. When Christ spoke of bearing witness of the truth, Pilate asked, What is truth? John chapter 18, verses 37 to 38. The world doesn't want to know the truth. They are comfortable perpetuating hysterical anti-Semitic lies. The world is not interested in peace either, nor the plight of the Palestinian people, as can be seen by the testimony just stated. Israel absorbed into its society over one million Arabs from the Muslim world, as is documented in Martin Gilbert's book In Ishmael's House. Yet the Arab world has kept the Palestinian population captive as a political pawn, expelling, persecuting, and shelling them in their own homes. 
On the day of the vote, the Israeli ambassador made one more appeal. Mr. President, this resolution will not advance peace. This resolution will not change the situation on the ground. It will not change the fact that the Palestinian Authority has no control over Gaza, and that is 40% of the territory they claim to represent. President Abbas, you can't even visit nearly half the territory of the state you claim to represent. That territory is controlled by Hamas, an internationally recognized terrorist organization that rains missiles on Israeli civilians. This is the same Hamas that fired more than 1,300 rockets into the heart of Israel's major cities this month. This resolution will not confer statehood on the Palestinian Authority, which clearly fails to meet the criteria for statehood. This resolution will not enable the Palestinian Authority to join international treaties, organizations, or conferences as a state. This resolution cannot serve as an acceptable terms of reference for peace negotiations with Israel, because this resolution says nothing about Israel's security needs. The world is recognizing an organization that has no interest in peace, nor the existence of the State of Israel. They have given legitimacy to terrorism, aggression, and have rewarded a murderous state with a seat at the table of the world's nations. This democratic vote is the voice of the frog spirits, calling for liberty, equality, and fraternity at all costs, including the lives of the people of Israel. The Prime Minister of Israel responded to the vote by reminding the world that the Jewish people are connected to the land by a 4,000-year-old bond, the covenant made by God to Abraham. Israel is prepared to live in peace with a Palestinian state. But for peace to endure, Israel's security must be protected. The Palestinians must recognize the Jewish state, and they must be prepared to end the conflict with Israel once and for all. None of these vital interests, these vital interests of peace, none of them appear in the resolution that will be put forward before the General Assembly today. And that is why Israel cannot accept it. The only way to achieve peace is through agreements that are reached by the parties directly, through uh, direct negotiations between themselves and not through UN resolutions that completely ignore Israel's vital security and national interests. And because this resolution is so one-sided, it doesn't advance peace, it pushes it backwards. As for the rights of the Jewish people in this land, I have a simple message for those gathered in the General Assembly today. No decision by the UN can break the 4,000-year-old bond between the people of Israel and the land of Israel. On this, Benjamin Netanyahu is correct. God will not break his covenant with Israel, a covenant that stretches back for 4,000 years. He has brought them back into the land and planted them upon the mountains of Israel once again. This is the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. The work is not complete either, for God tells us of the Messiah, who will come very shortly to reconfirm this covenant that cannot be broken. We read in Jeremiah 33, verse 16, In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. 
For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel, neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings, and to kindle meat offerings, and to do sacrifice continually. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, If you can break my covenant of the day, and my covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sands of the sea measured, so will I multiply the sea of seed of David my servant, and the Levites that minister unto me. The actions of the nations of the world, although repugnant to the people of God, are an indication that the time of the end is upon us. The nations are lifting up their hand against Judah and Jerusalem once again. The words of Joel are not a far-off event, but nearly upon us. With this bold move, the world has given the Palestinian people the legal position to launch an indictment of war crimes upon Israel in the world court that may eventually be the guise under which all nations will come down to Jerusalem to battle. The invasion of Serbia, Somalia, Iraq, and other countries over the past 20 years by NATO and the United Nations in the cause of liberty have laid the legal premise to justify a future invasion of Israel to liberate the Palestinian people. We read in Joel chapter 3, verse 1, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations and parted my land. Yet this will not turn out to be a judgment of Israel, by the nations, but a judgment of the nations of the world by Almighty God. For he states in Joel chapter 3, verse 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Yahweh. Let the nations be wakened, and let them come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of threshing, for the day of Yahweh is near in the valley of threshing. Well, this will be the time when the nations will be gathered like sheaves into the threshing floor, the meaning of the word Armageddon. This is the time when God states in Zechariah 14, verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. The pride of man will be crushed. The wicked assembly of the United Nations will be dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel, ground to powder like chaff of the summer threshing floor, never to meet again and pass another resolution like this one. The nation of Israel will be refined and brought back into the covenant of Almighty God, and Jerusalem will be established as the capital of the world. And so we pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. This has been Jonathan Bowen joining you for the Bible in the news.